All right. Um, I do not have the theme song since I'm using a different computer. Is there anything you guys would like to play as a theme song? What is the theme? What is the usual theme song? Well, we used to do Monkey Wrench by Foo Fighters. Um, And then I made a mix of the beginning of (laughs) uh, Do I Want to Know? And then I put on the vocals of uh, All My Life. I've been looking for something, something. So that was it for a little bit. What should we do this? I can't make anything right now, but I can play something. Maybe play, it could be a stroke song, probably. Yeah, right? play a, play a stroke, we do a stroke song. song. Yeah. Or you could do a solo Julian oh, song. Puppy. <laughs> the puppy is here. I didn't even know that. Oh, she's sleeping. You could, you could do a... Sh- here we go. I'll play this one. Like Instant Crush or something. She won a Grammy. There is no help coming once you're outside. Okay, that's enough of the theme song. That was the Strokes. <laughs> I know why you played that song. You played it for me. I did. And I There's another reason that. why I played that song, though, is because on the f- the fifth song of that EP. Uh, what is it called? Something dollar, zero dollar bill. Yeah, that sounds right. On the right. fifth song of that EP, it really sounds like a Strokes song. Yeah, well, they've got a lot of Strokes influence. You can hear it kind of not just in the singer, who's very, you know, Julie, very Julianish. Yeah. But uh, uh, Also, so I am using my work computer, so I will be receiving emails throughout this and they will make noise. So yeah, that's what could, that is. If we could mute the Outlook, that would I, be great. Let me just get rid of Outlook. But my computer thinks it needs to update all the time. So then it'll give me a warning. And then a second later, it'll say that it can't update and it'll make noises. So okay. Outlook has been closed. Slack is also closed. Okay. Close Chrome too, I think, just in case. Good idea. Close all applications. All right, I got the Spotify up though, so we're good on that one. All right, um, I'm Jake. Oh, for God's sakes. Um, Charlie's <laughs> here too. And we have a very special guest. Nick Brennan is joining us for this very special episode of uh, I Bet You Look Good on the podcast. It's Welcome. good to be here. Thank Welcome, you. Nick. Thanks so much. Hey, guys. Uh, we wanted to bring Nick on because this is another one-off episode. We're not covering a record tonight. We are going to be covering, similar to the last one, we covered Hot Fuss on an Art of Monkeys podcast. And this week we'll be covering The Strokes on an Art of Monkeys podcast. I, it makes sense to me. I mean, you wouldn't have one without the other. Hey, there we go. I like it. Oh, Charlie, are you frozen? I was oh, going to no, give some background. Hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. I thought that you were going to explain why, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I froze for a second. My computer froze. But but yes, to just explain why, in this podcast where we usually talk about Arctic Monkeys, Jake and I have uh, taken kind of these one-off episodes where Chris isn't able to join. We've talked about bands that are very similar to the Arctic Monkeys or that influence the Arctic Monkeys. Um, and when I think about bands in the early aughts, as Chris amusingly said... The Killers, the Arctic Monkeys, and the Strokes, they all kind of hover in that similar galaxy of like, you know, rock bands that have kind of hung around and stayed really popular for two decades. 
and also released kind of smash hit debut albums that burst, you know, onto the scene. And suddenly, the, and, and kind of like overnight, the bands became instant stars. And I would say with Is This It, that album is what The Killers and The Strokes and a lot of other bands that came after them, you know, Interpol and the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, they would point to that album and say Kings of Leon. And they would say that album is what Empire influenced Weekend. us. Vampire Weekend. That's the re- we wouldn't we wouldn't be anywhere without the Strokes. The Strokes were first in 21st century rock. They were like they occupied that frontier before any of these other bands. And the Arctic Monkeys certainly idolized them. I know that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we get into too much about that, Nick, since this is an Arctic Monkeys podcast, are you a fan? Do you have any favorite records? We covered Humbug last week, and we had a great time. Oh man. Yeah. Yes, I'm absolutely a fan. In fact, I took Sir Charles with me as my guest to an Arctic Monkeys concert in Queens, which feels oh, like fantastic. 20 years ago. Jake was there, by the way. And Chris, oh, the other, hey, uh, Chris and I, the other, yeah. the other host of the show, we went together. A note yeah. on Chris, I actually got him sick so I could be on this podcast to talk I knew about it. the strokes. It was a whole plan that I concocted. I so Sorry, Chris. Um, no, we went to that show and they covered the Strokes at that concert, they did, uh, which was right. special yeah. for me. They played Is This It in the encore. And, and so to answer your question directly, I'm a huge Arctic Monkeys fan. I mean, uh, that first album was perfect for me in time. Uh, I think it came out in like 2005 or six. I was 16 at the time. It, it, it was like, a, you know, we were all Strokes fans and White Stripes fans. And then when this band came out, it, it just kind of like compounded all the things we loved about those bands and kicked it up a notch. Um, I think like history has shown that Arctic Monkeys, of all of the bands that Charlie just referenced and even, you know, others like the Vines, the Hives, all these bands that kind of came out of this era. The Arctic Monkeys to me are like um, the, the best actual band. They're like a real band band and they play like they're all masters of their instruments at this point and to me when i hear arctic monkeys either on record or live it's so impressive to me even beyond what the strokes can do as as musicians and so to me they're like almost like the led zeppelin of rock now you know like a lot of people talk about like tame impala what to me it's like arctic monkeys are the best rock band of my time having Mm -hmm. said that and so like i love arctic monkeys i think my if i had to choose a favorite Favorite Worst Nightmare came out at a time where I really needed that record. <laughs> and so that to me is like my personal favorite, but forever in my heart, to my grave, the stro- like it's like Bruce Springsteen and The Strokes. Those are the two <laughs> yeah, for yeah, me yeah. to the day I die. And we can dive into why that is. And it all started with, is this it? And so, <laughs> you know, this is, this is a perfect conversation for me to be a part of. <laughs> I like it. I think that I have a, well, so then you were in, you were into Arctic Monkeys from, from whatever people say, or did you kind of find them around favorite worst? Cause you said 2006 oh, absolutely. You were there from the beginning, right? Yeah. We were, yeah. Like uh, for me and, and my friends coming up, we were there from the beginning and that first album. And I even remember like, seeing them like on a music video or on YouTube or whatever it was at the time and being like, oh my God, 
it was almost like looking at them was the opposite of the strokes at the time because they were so young and nerdy and like <laughs> I, I felt like I looked cooler than them yeah. at the time. Dude, this is like literally what you're saying is what I said <laughs> on the first episode of this podcast. We have like the same exact, oh, that's so funny. Same exact origin story. That's so story. funny. I remember seeing the Betsy Look Good on the dance floor video and being like, what the fuck is this? I've never seen anything like this before. And just being like from that, that first moment in 2006, just being like obsessed with them now for... 15 years <laughs> and having had the time the space between what i loved about the strokes when they came out and then arctic monkeys which was kind of like a five-year difference or whatever yeah. i appreciated like okay these are just like fucking okay i hope we can say i cursed on your yes podcast. absolutely these are just like fucking kids who loved the strokes like we did and wrote these amazing fast songs just out of like passion and 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 so like and i remember listening to a certain romance which was like the one from that record that we were all like how did they do this this is the greatest song i've ever heard um and then it just felt like such a jump with favorite worst nightmare the the sophistication the the like when brian storm came out we were all like <laughs> i this is a completely different band um yeah. like the same band but better and they've done that on each album. So we, I've been in it from the beginning. I've loved every single record. Um, just how they reinvent themselves. I would say a pretty good difference between them and The Strokes, which we can talk about, um, I think is like one of their most impressive qualities for, for the Arctic Monkeys. And well, we talk a lot about Matt Helders on this podcast, and you're you're a drummer as well. Are you? How do you feel about him as a, a drummer? We kind of think John Kelly's mentioned he's uh, like one of the one drummers where he can just hear him and and know that it's that it's Helders. One hundred percent. I mean, I I'm I'm in complete awe of him. Like me, he was untrained, and but he I could never ever 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 do what he does. Like he wears sweatpants and tracksuits all the time <laughs> and he just just you know his speed his agility is amazing and his and his consistency is incredible like when i watch him live it almost feels like he um the thing about arctic monkeys is they're not just like um rocking out like they're all playing their parts very tightly uh very accurately and and matt helders as well it almost seems like he's going nuts but he's hitting every mark on that's on the recording almost perfectly it's it's incredible and uh, like for example a certain romance the first song on uh their first record that drum beat which is like to me like one of the best parts of the song came from a drum workout that he used to do to get himself warmed up that was like a <laughs> drum warm-up and that became the song and so like he's writing hooks on the drums, which is incredible to me. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I love him. He's te top 10 drummers for sure in my book. And the one thing that always impresses me about him too is you mentioned Brian Storm and just listening to it and just being like, wowed. I remember listening to that, the Brian, the drums in the beginning of Brian Storm and being like, man, that shit is awesome. And then I think it was either I was playing the song with Chris and Chris is a drummer or I was watching a video of him playing it live. And then seeing him do it, I was like, that's a totally different thing than I thought was going on. You know, I thought it was just like, dun, 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 but it's like, dun, 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 he's like crossing over. You're like, what? Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. 100%. He's like, he's, he's utilizing the, his left foot on the, on the hi hat and there's things going on on his left hand there. Like it, it's, he's hitting almost everything. 
in the and he's kit. got some it's crazy hi hat work on, on a favorite worst nightmare too. There's so many hi hat hits that bad. just pop out of nowhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, he's he is a drummer that like you know he will inspire people to give up drums like he's that good. Like you hear him and you're like, what am I doing? Like, I, you know, I need to quit this instrument and like play tennis. You know, I felt that way. <laughs> I felt that way about a couple different drummers that I've heard. Not that I'm a drummer, but I would imagine a lot of other people. Would, you know, like I t- I've told Jake, I don't know if I've talked to you about this, Nick, but, you know, Danny Carey, who is the drummer in Tool, which is a band that I have gotten really into in the last few months. <laughs> Cool, man. As I'm not going to yuck your yum. That's awesome. No, no. I, I, you know, they're a dark, heavy band. But the drummer <laughs> of that band is like the best drummer I've ever heard, too. And he has equal, it's equal like skill and speed in both arms and legs and doing these like polyrhythms where he's like going ding, ding, ding on his right hand and on his left hand and then boom, 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 on his right. And you're like, how can each of these limbs be doing a different time signature, you know, and that's kind of the skill that I feel like Matt Helders has that uh, you just can't teach it. It's just like a gift, you know? Um, no, so. and it's, it's, it's so interesting to like connect this back to the strokes. Uh, all of the Arctic, other than maybe like the bass, there's almost nothing similar musically about the strokes and, Ar- and Arctic monkeys. The, the drummers could not be more different. Mm. The, even the, the looseness of the songwriting, which I know that Alex Turner is so inspired by the strokes and Julian, I don't personally see a lot of that influence in, uh, completely uh, in the music at times, especially in the later years of Arctic Monkeys. And so I think it's very interesting the level of inspiration the strokes have bestowed to all these bands when you really don't hear a, a ton of it. Um, because like, the Arctic Monkeys are very balls to the wall, rock and roll, drums going crazy. This, that's not really what happens with the strokes completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah and this is true. Like, oh, I, go always ahead, think Jake, of, sorry. I always think of strokes as being like a cool band, you know, like they're super cool. And then even Arctic Monkeys attempt at being cool on AM, it doesn't, it still doesn't feel the same really. Um, and then it is funny that Tranquility Base opens up with him saying that he just wanted to be one of the strokes. And it's like, well, you never really tried. I was reading about if you go to the Wikipedia page and you read about is this it you guys probably know this already but Jed Gottlieb of the Boston Herald uh, you know again not the the foremost music Gottlieb yeah Gottlieb you know Gottlieb from the Herald yeah I mean he's he really you know he's he is the the shaman uh, you know the music critic but anyway he said and I agreed with him that the strokes almost is this it is is musically and sonically influential but more it goes so far beyond that and i'm excited to dive into the album with you guys if you'll indulge me uh but just a little preface they were like this band that kind of burst out of nowhere nick can as a, a real strokes expert can dive into this and explain it a lot more better than i can but they kind of hit the scene and they were like this indie band that was discovered, you know, out of kind of a plume of smoke in an underground club in New York City. 
And what is this it did more so than inspire bands was it also changed the music industry. And suddenly talent scouts and record label scouts were going out and looking for like indie bands with like edge who were like writing kind of tight little songs, looking cool, feeling cool. And it was much more garagey. Yeah. Bono, Edge and Bono, Bono, Billy Joe Armstrong. (laughs) But you also have to think about like what music was like and what rock music was like in the nineties is it was like either like really like punk rock, industrial rock, you know, and I'm talking about like Limp Bizkit and, you know, P.O.D. And you consider or you had like industrial rock, not industrial, but like heavy punk nails. rock for sure. Yeah. And yeah. Nine Inch okay. Nails, who I also like. And I, I do think they're kind of a cool band. So but there were not the biggest, a lot of like, like rock bands, you know. Yeah. Well, the biggest indie album that came out right prior was probably something by Radiohead, right? Yeah. Yeah, That's I would say real- like Wilco or Radiohead. Yeah. We're, we're existing and you know but charlie's totally right and i mean i you know i'm I, i'm not that much older than you guys but i am a little bit older in the in the way that those years did make a difference where like i was 11 in 2001 and so like music really was like i was wearing giant jeans and like li- pretending to like like P.O.D. and Limp Biscuit, and maybe because of like Tony Hawk, like Goldfinger, maybe getting into some like pop punk emo, but it didn't. Yeah. And I and I remember like having a relationship with that, like Taking Back Sunday, and I and I knew that I liked the hooks and the emotion, and that it felt like something, and I and I knew that that was different fundamentally than like. Hootie and the Blowfish or whatever was like, you know, <laughs> or like Sugar Ray, like literally this yeah, is yeah, rock yeah. music. Yeah. And so, but, but I knew that it wasn't like what I was really looking for. There was nothing. There was nothing. Yeah. And so you're exactly right, Charlie. What the Strokes did was literally like, instead of like from a record label down, it was like these five 21 year olds or whatever who looked like they were taken out of the 1970s or early 80s. Like you didn't learn about them from, you know, the top down. They, they, it, was, it was like these kids were plucked off of the street. They looked like a cool, like I can't describe to you how, how cool they looked. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> the, cooler the than the Ramones, you know? <laughs> it was like the Ramones, except like good looking. Like, I mean, like they were wearing drainpipe jeans and leather jackets and smoking cigarettes, but, but they looked literally pretty. Like I remember opening Is This It? And you unfolded it and it was the five of them. They're like a boy band, which we were just exiting like the NSYNC boy band era, but mm-hmm. it was like a boy band for cool rock guys and and then (laughs) and so and so you wanted to look like them you were jealous and you were like oh my god like look at their hair and look at the way they look like it was almost like an i'll be honest it was almost like a female attraction like they were hot and they they seemed to really love being a band together from all the like press photos and then you heard the music and you were just like this sounds like nothing that is happening right now. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like it was recorded through a telephone. <laughs> but and I'm a melody sucker. The melodies and the 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 feeling yeah. that you got 
it just, it literally changed my life trajectory at like 12 <laughs> years old. Yeah, yeah. And so it was, it, cha- it fundamentally changed the industry of, of music, uh, fashion for music. Um, and, and just, just it, I, they don't get the credit they deserve in some way. In my, we can talk about all this, but it, it's kind of like the strokes are so contradictory to me in so, in so many ways. And I'm excited to like break down all the different, you know, things that you want to talk about. But all right. well, we can, we can dive in. I just, I got to check with you first. <laughs> did you read Meet Me in the Bathroom? I did. I did. did. I did. So I did. They, they mentioned that in the beginning where the Strokes yeah. got people to go to their first show by literally walking down the street and handing out flyers. And they knew <laughs> that would work because they knew where they were the five fucking coolest guys in the entire world. Uh, I, I've talked about this too, Jake. If I may tack on a story that I read from Meet Me in the Bathroom that just like hit me in the chest. When they, they played at some club, you know, in like the, in, oh, you know, in, in 01 or maybe even in 2000. And they announced that the band, you know, they, the, whoever was running the concert or running the venue said, you know, now please welcome the Strokes. And they came through the fans, like from the back of the, of the, of the hall, carrying their guitars over their heads, just like walking through their fans to get up onto the stage. And it was like, I was like, oh my God, like that's so genius. How come I've never ever seen a band do that yeah. before you know there's a, venue, like, there's a venue in bushwick that they have to i forget the name of it now i haven't been there in a while but there's a venue in bushwick where they like <laughs> they have to carry everything from the back and like people are they're, like the drummer walks up there carrying the bass drum over his head and it's oh just, my god like, i've done still, that i've done still, that so many times cool. it's, yeah it's it's, yeah. Like, it's 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 awesome and like i mean even that like you know what i like about that book and i know the strokes probably don't like that book and and did like disclaimer mm. which is so weird of how my life is now and having been through the music industry i'm very i'm like one person removed from being very close friends with the strokes now and people in that book which is <laughs> fucking crazy and like i am not friends with the strokes but i have been in rooms with the strokes and have felt oh. incredibly uncomfortable and and wanted <laughs> to tell them like i have your drumstick because i caught it at a concert in 2006 fab and even though we're talking about you know oh whatever i'm being i'm being cool like literally i hit it in my pants and then met you at the airport when you were dating drew barrymore and my dad took a picture with drew barrymore so everything in life is full circle and it's fucking weird but what I like about that book and what a lot of people, you know, there are other things that they could say, why, you know, that shouldn't have been in there. Why did you print that? It gave like the historical context of New York at that time, yeah. which yeah. is inseparable from why the strokes were so dominant and, and um, resonated with people at the time. I mean, New York, the Lower East Side at that time, and I didn't live in this world. I was fucking 11 years old, but I do know that it was still kind of like, not the greatest place. Like you could buy heroin pretty easily, you know, on the Lower East Side, these clubs where these bands started playing. And even in Williamsburg, like, you know, you read those stories about the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs and TV on the radio having rehearsal space in Williamsburg where there were literally people like overdosing on the steps. Like that New York doesn't exist anymore, but that New York fueled these bands and this young youth culture to kind of like dominate the scene. And that, that, arguably never went away even though it's kind of like whitewashed now and gentrified yeah yeah it changed the lower east side back into like a music mecca mercury lounge pianos everyone knows these names now back then it was just like why would we go there 
yeah. <laughs> you know, like that, that's not an area we go to, mm-hmm. um, that it almost feels impossible to happen in New York again. Yeah. It's almost as if like to, to sum it up in a way that doesn't really do it justice, but like some of those less desirable neighborhoods, they're more affordable. So you had young people totally living and that creating, is the reality. you know, 100%. Yeah. Hear it. <laughs> How's the volume on here? I'm not used to this computer. Maybe a little bit lower. A little bit lower. Like that? Yeah, this is good. I mean, I, as long as you guys can hear me clearly, if well, I yeah, talk I over can, it, I can hear you. That's what we've done in the last few episodes. Was kind of just chat over it while the record plays in the background. I think it's kind of a fun way to do it. Even low. You could turn it even a little bit lower. Down a little bit more. Yeah. That's probably a sweet spot, eh? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. All right, cool. This song is great. So let's talk about first, really quickly. Jake, uh, no, excuse me. Nick talked about how Julian sounds like he's singing through a telephone. Mm-hmm. There's something about this whole album that I find appealingly like rough around the edges, for lack of a better term. Like, there's not a lot of effects. There's just a little bit of reverb. And uh, otherwise, it's just instruments. It's, like, very stripped down in that way, which I really like. You know, it, it sounds Im- imperfect, um, which I find very appealing. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I, uh, I I think I said on the podcast before, but I'll share it since Nick's here, too. The effect on the vocals... As I, I was, I really like the sound of Julian's voice on this, and what like I thought he had some sort of overdrive on his, like light overdrive on his mic or something. And as I was starting to like write and record music, I kind of wanted to get that sound. And I looked it up. I was like, what effect did Julian Casablanca use on the album? Is this that? And uh, the, the internet told me that there was no effects, and it was just a shitty microphone held freehand without a pop screen, and that's how they got this sound. <laughs> I mean. I suppose that that's true. It's to me, the sound of this record and a lot of the strobes again is kind of like a, a dichotomy, like a contradiction. It is totally like dirty and fucked up with the vocals. But then when you really think about it, the guitars and the drums, especially on certain songs, it re- like some of the songs, you think the drums are a drum machine. And yeah. so like, and that, and that happens mostly late, like, you know, specifically I'm thinking about hard to explain, but it is yeah. almost crazy that some of the songs, they, they're so dirty. And then you're like, how did they get those guitar tones? What did yeah. they do? <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's impressive. <laughs> I think a lot about uh, I think a lot about uh, Albert Hammond's like impact in the band. I really feel like with him in the background, like he is the engine of the music, and just that like he almost sounds like a little frantic the way he plays guitar, but he can reel it back, of course. But I feel like Nick Valencia is much more the like cool rock solo and like you know you know piercing high notes and like he can go up and down the neck and Hammond is like such a rhythm guitar player he's he's always kind of pushing the song along like a train which I really dig um 
And I just love his sound. It's like very recognizable. You say, Nick, how do they get those tones? His particular tone, I think, is like so, you know, you hear a Stroke song is, I, I feel like, what, same with Arctic Monkeys, like you can hear Helders and you're like, oh my God, that's Matt Helders. I can hear a Stroke song without knowing it and I yeah. hear it Hammond in the background and I'm like, okay, that's a Stroke song. You know what I mean? I, I think to, to tag onto the, the guitar stuff you were saying, one of my favorite things about this record, and they continue doing it later on a lot, um, not add, not on every single track like they do here, but what they do is that they always put Hammond on one side and they always put Valencia on the other side. So yeah, in the mixing, mix you mean. It. So it's always in the right speaker, and I forget which side is which, but like, it's always that way. So that's why the, these certain guitar solos that sound this way are always on that because it's Valencia playing, right? And then that's why these chords, that stuff you're talking about, this choppiness and then this frantic mix and everything, that's why it's always on that side because it's always, you know, it's always hand. And the, the way awesome. that they do that and stick to it through this record is so cool. Like, you, it feels like you always know where you are, you know? Like, yeah, you know, it's and it's almost like you the band is standing in the same spot the whole time, like for the whole yeah. recording, which I kind of like. The, and, and that's what they do when you see them live. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't, they don't move around. They they stand right in the same spot. And I would say this song, The Modern Age, is in my, uh, this is in my top five. Like, that's the thing about Is This It? Three of my top five stroke songs that I think are like the most representatives, uh, representative of the strokes are on this record. Like this necessarily isn't my favorite strokes record, but I think it does have the most essential strokes songs. And this one is like, hits every single note you could need from a stroke song. When that chorus opens up on that ride cymbal and he hits that melody, that crooning melody, and the guitars are just both fucking going nuts in a rhythmic way and the bass underneath is providing that warmth like that to me is the strokes it's yeah yeah almost yeah. fucking perfect it is perfect that song is perfect i think like all songs are pretty much perfect on this album but that one especially um and hard to explain which we'll get to and barely legal and alone together for me. Just like all of them are perfect songs. Well, I wanted to bring, I wanted to talk about the modern age too a little bit because I don't know if it's in Meet Me in the Bathroom or if I read it somewhere else, but they said that they were writing a lot of music before this album came out. And then they wrote the modern age and they were like, oh shit, that's what our, that's what the strokes are. That's what the band is. And then they scrapped everything before and then wrote, is this it based on what they had found work in the modern age? And then my question is, what were they writing before? Were they just trying to write, my guess is that they were just trying to write like Velvet Revolver songs. That's what I, like, what would the strokes be doing before the modern age? I've I've heard the demos, and I think you probably mean Velvet Underground, but I oh. I know, but I, but Velvet Revolver is sick also. Velvet Revolver, oh, yeah, Velvet is Underground. Sick also. I'm so embarrassed. Velvet Underground. No, no, not, not at all. Because fucking just said Lou Velvet Lou. Revolver is sick too. No, it is interesting that I've listened to a lot of like live demos of songs that never made the record, and it's kind of like um, it's one of two things. It's either like Julian doing like leaning heavy into a Jim Moore in vibe or <laughs> or it's like very tight high guitar like very tension based songs that have 
really kind of cool choruses, but it's just not to the par of like a modern age or a Soma. And you can find them if you Google, like there's one song called The Elephant Song. There's one song, um, I, gosh, I can't remember the names of all those demos, but I've Googled them, I've listened to them. They're, they're pretty good, but they are clearly a band uh, trying to find their way to, to the modern age. And then it kind of like kicks open that door. Yeah, um, yeah. To what you're hearing now. All right. Well, that makes a lot. I gotta. I gotta check those out. Then that sounds. Pretty yeah. Nice I'll. To I'm gonna fun. remind me. I'm gonna send some of those. Old, you can YouTube like. There's a whole like playlist of early Strokes demos that were recorded at like Arlene's Grocery, and it's oh, it's cool. very Chris cool. Played, you played, played Arlene. Yeah, and and Nick played there too, oh, right? Played there too. Yeah. That was our first gig ever on Mother's Day, like 2007. And when we got to the door. The guy said, you're all 21, right? We were 16. And we said, yes. And he gave us drink tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and our parents were there. It was like midnight on Mother's Day. <laughs> Dude, what, how, is, how is this lining up so perfect? When Chris and I were in high school, we played a gig at the Stone in Asbury Park. And we fucking played at Amazing. midnight on Mother's Day, too. That's the, Hey, man, midnight on Mother's Day. That's for all you young bands listening to this podcast, Mother's Day Midnight, that's the slot to get. <laughs> that's what you need. <laughs> that's what you need. Well, Charlie, you love this song. You mentioned it specifically. And, and I'm someone who doesn't really uh, care for Soma that much, which is a song we just yeah. heard. And Barely Legal now is just such a classic one. Yeah, you kind of bring it back. I'm not a huge fan of Soma either. It's probably one of the lowers on the record for me. But you're right, this does bring it back to the modern age type songs. And then you go into, I, mean, I don't even want to talk about where we go next. But it just keeps getting better, I think, from here. Yeah, and I, something I want to kind of talk about, and I'll get to this a little later, but um, there's something about the simplicity of these songs, you know? Like, they're not that, they're not like, it's not like Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, this is like six, seven chords, just delicately and perfectly, like, arranged with a great melody and a great hook, and the band sounds like, really cohesive but i like how accessible they are you know you you hear these songs you're like i could learn this song and yet it's so catchy it's so catchy it like it sinks its teeth into you like like that's a beautiful little melody that he's coming up with and there that's all over the album, like great pockets of melody, but and I love this guitar. Oh my god, they ain't tool. <laughs> no, they're not. Nick, that's awesome, Nick. What I and and like this song is a great example of the Strokes mastering dynamics. Like when when that everything drops out and it's just dun dun dun, and they're just the hi hat then opens up to the chorus. It's just like you don't. You don't get that in a Bohemian Rhapsody because that's all in all the time. Just like we're going full throttle the whole song. This is like, you know the movements. Here's the part where it's building. And then when that chorus hits, it's just perfect. Perfect. Um, yeah. Yeah, this song's, 
this is a classic and I feel like it's a crowd favorite when they play this one it almost feels like they're pulling out a crit like people are like oh my god they're doing this one and it, it just you know even though the lyrics are a little like oh okay that doesn't maybe it doesn't fly but it's kind of sexy whatever like Julian <laughs> Julian can get away with it <laughs> this is also the longest song on the record Locking is it three minutes 55 yeah Wow, that's really interesting. I would have thought Take that. It or Leave It. That's really interesting. Yeah, Take It or Leave It's only 316. It's not even really wow. in the top five. Um, do you know which song was added when New York City Cops was removed? I do. Miss Charlie? I don't, I I don't know. Uh, it was When It Started. That's what it is, yep. I prefer New York City Cops. Which is a started, song. But New York City Cops is a better I song. I understand why That's, they took it out, though. No, there's, I mean, I understand the context and for for all the millions listening, um, 9-11 happened. <laughs> not, uh, not funny. And then uh, no. everyone loved the New York police. And so they, they took the record off. Um, that song off the record and replaced it with a far inferior song which I <laughs> never listened to yeah, same. Um, but this song that we're hearing is 100 one of the top three on this record in my forever strokes this like if there were three songs that they didn't play at a strokes concert i would be furious about it, it would be the modern age someday and hard to explain this to me is like again maybe the the best, most quintessential stroke song that has ever been written. In my I think opinion. so. What's the most popular last night on here? On this album, last night. But if I had to say ever, it would probably be Reptilia just because it was on Guitar Hero. She was a bummer, that that yeah. really vaulted that into a different yeah. level. I would say You Only Live Once comes pretty close to that song. Gets oh my a, a God, I love that song. Juice Box. I remember song watching the great. video for Juice Box a lot. Too. <laughs> I don't video. know if you guys. insane, by the way. <laughs> it is insane. <laughs> Nuts. I don't know if you guys are Room on Fire people or First oh, that's Impressions. My favorite that's my favorite record. I'm a First Impressions guy. I'm also yeah. a First Impressions guy, but I love Room on Fire so much. And I know why people like it because similarly to Humbug, Jake, it's like it's like that's the strokes firing on all cylinders. <laughs> like they're a little bit more mature. So the songwriting's a little bit more mature, but like they're still like a young band with something to prove. I like the risks that First Impressions takes, but... I get why like Room on Fire is probably like their like best album. It just may not be like my favorite necessarily. That's the opposite for me. That's so funny. Like um, this album, I think would widely be considered like their best album. And yeah. then, but for me, Room on Fire is their is my is my favorite album. I was sixteen when uh, First Impressions came out. I had. We had such high expectations. I saw them on that tour for the first time. And then people didn't like that album, but recognized that there was like a handful of songs that were like, so like, you know, Juicebox, Heart in a Cage, You Only Live Once. The, I love those. Those are like mostly in my top 10, but there's so much else on that record where I'm like, okay, well, I don't know, you know, could, but this song, listen to the nostalgia that is baked into this song. <laughs> I it's know. unstoppable. That bass line. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's doing some this, work. What, like, what decade is this from? Who wrote, when did they write? <laughs> this could be from, it's, it's amazing. I hear a lot of cars in this song, personally. And then Nick Valenci, who went on and formed a, great, a band that I think is great called CRX, I think they only have one album, is like, they're so cars, it's not even funny. 
but I hear bits and pieces of it pop through on early stroke stuff. And I, this is one song in particular where I hear that. I think surprising fact about my history with the strokes is that I did not get into the strokes until like 2014. Why? I don't think that's surprise. I mean, like, I feel like they became a, like almost like an early legacy act headlining festivals a lot and kind of like, I mean, I mean, how I'm not surprised by that. I was like 20, 20 or 21, probably. Um, and I, I knew Reptilia, but I didn't like it because I didn't I didn't connect to it at all because it's just like a pop hit in certain ways. And I didn't really like it. So I never really pursued them that much. And then there was a girl in college, obviously, that she's like, First Impressions of Earth is the greatest mm -hmm. album ever recorded. And I was like, yeah, I fucking <laughs> love it. And then I had never listened to it before. Um, yeah. So then I got into it. And then I listened to that record like every day for like six months. And then finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to branch out. And then I found the rest of the records and then I've just been a super fan. <laughs> I'll say like, I get why Reptilia is famous. I really do, especially with the Guitar Hero thing. And I, and I understand it from a visceral level. Like, I recognize why that song is powerful to people and why. To me, my favorite stroke songs are the ones where Julian allows us to see some vulnerability or um, warmth or nostalgia. And there's so many stroke songs where it's like, he's doing his very cool thing. And I love that. But like, there's songs like Someday or Hard to Explain or, or You Only Live Once where you hear something different where it's like oh i can almost see like where he's actually coming from there's one line in reptilia where like and it's like the room is on fire she's fixing her hair and he like kind of like finally yeah. like lets it go yeah That's i love the that part i love but otherwise i'm kind of like i if you didn't play reptilia at a concert i'd be like okay i'm fine with yeah. that you know but agreed <laughs> you know um this song is a great, great song. And Charlie, I think this is one of your favorites, right? This is oh, like my favorite Stroke song, for oh, sure. Oh, me and Charlie so, started recording you, a cover of this song. Uh, okay, I know, so and I'd love why. to finish it. <laughs> talk, talk about why, because this is, I, not many people would, would say that. Not that it's not a great song, but not a classic. I just love the chorus. I love the chorus where he, you know, um, you know, the exact words are, what is it? Uh, life seems unreal. Can we go back to your place? Um, uh, you know, the other, uh, well, I am with you. I've got to explain things have changed in such a permanent way. Um, it's very like, this kind of strikes me as a song, you know, that line, life seems unreal. Can we go back to your place? It's very much like why I turn to music. It's like, I just want to turn off for a minute. And I like that. I like those lyrics. I read somewhere that this song is like one of the most, more sexual songs. Um, you know, oh Lisa said, take time for me, dropping him down to his knees. That is sexual. So I get it. But I like it more because I, I find it builds. I do like the lyrics, but it, it builds to this epic solo at the end, you know, uh, where Nick Valencia is kind of just going off in this way that he never really does. It's almost like the closest that they get to like a really epic rock out. Guitar, you rock out. And that's, yeah, uh, yeah know, it is. And that's, that's probably I why like I like it the that. most. Okay. So this, this, this song, I have a lot yeah. to say about. Yeah. And I feel like I'm very maybe. Interested in yeah. Go off. Go off. 
and and hard to explain comes up next. So. Yes, yeah, <laughs> which, which I, I know is have I know is your favorite. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost opposites for me. Okay, so like I get I get this song, and I get why it would have been the one at first to like. But to me, other than the music video, which I adore, like where they're playing in that room and the drum mics fall down, like I love that. And he throws the mic stand, very strokes, amazing. To me, this is a perfect example where you can't really get Julian's, um, like a sense of vulnerability or, or, and the melody, I'm a melody guy, I've said this already. This is kind of repetitive and droning and like, like I get it, it's a huge throwback. But to me, it's kind of empty. It, I would yeah. again. I would be okay. Similar to Reptilia, I would be okay if they didn't play this at a concert. Um, to follow it up with "Hard to Explain," which to me is their best and my favorite song of all time. It feels light years away. Like I love the production of this. I love the swagger. But that's kind of it. Like it is very Tom Petty. Like wouldn't it is, you also like, say, Nick? <laughs> you know? I, I know that you feel this way because this was when you went on Twitter at one point and you know <laughs> dished out some hot takes, which I wish there were more of. And you should do it like once a week. But you and I both are not like huge Tom Petty fans. Like I recognize his influence in rock, but like I find him very overrated. And this song does yeah, fuck sound Tom like Petty. Tom. No, fuck sure. Tom Petty. I mean, rest in peace. But rest in peace. But no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Look, yeah, I, I, agree I, I get it. But this song sounds like Tom Petty, and I, I probably don't like it as much for the same reason I don't like a lot of Tom Petty songs. Right? It's also like a weird stroke song where, like, a, I would say ninety percent of stroke songs are driving, have like a driving rhythm. This one is like a weird swing one. It feels, floaty, yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. floaty. It's very bouncy. Yeah. doesn't happen a lot. There's usually very tight rhythms um, that allow Julian to then croon over. I think what this song doesn't do for me, it's too much of that. Too much yeah. too much looseness, which I'm not used to from the strokes. Um, you, like, usually he's like singing this crooning wild melody over a very tight, driven drum beat and guitars. And so maybe it's just a little too loosey-goosey for me, but... You know, I get why people were like, holy shit, coming out of Limp Biscuit, and then you yeah. get this. I get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Now, is this, this a this best song song ever is been this a drum machine, or is he playing the drum? <laughs> I was just about to say, this sound does sound like a drum machine. It's it does. Tight. Everyone... It's he's doing it, man. I've seen the I've seen it live. You you know, right. it's just right. the so I didn't mean to cut the last night short. I just I just wanted to ask. That no, please let's move into this song, which is like to me the greatest stroke. All right, so Nick, keep going off. Yeah, tell us everything about. Uh, okay, it has the dynamics. It sounds old but new somehow. Julian, here it comes. Yeah, yeah, he's I mean, really giving on. it his all. Come on, like it's so vulnerable. He's screaming the first line. I was an like was an honest man. I used to be an honest man. Come on, that is just like, uh. and then you've got the two guitars going at the same time. The, the dyna it keeps shifting, like it, it keeps opening up and then tightening, and then finally, like in the choruses, it gives you what you need. It gives you that, like, if you're in the crowd, you're rocking it. It's just beautiful. I think this is their best song. It's my favorite song. It sounds timeless. And everything in life is hard to explain, guys. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that's all I'll say about it. You guys can talk about it now. <laughs> I like this song. I was just, last time I listened to it, I was just very much, very zoned into what Fab was doing and trying to figure out if he was playing this or not. But this, uh, then the, I guess that solidifies him as the tightest drummer of all time. I mean, he's in the pocket, in the fucking pocket. <laughs> I mean, like I use, I used to doubt it too, and then I've Google, I've seen them live, but I've also Googled them. Like, so I really like um, the Saturday Night Live performance of this uh, from 2002. It was like their first major TV debut, and you see him like, dude, that dude, dude, it's happening. It just sounds the way it is because of the way they mixed it, because of the way it was recorded, to make it sound so tinny and tight. Yeah. Um, but he, he is playing it, it's not a drum machine. He is a drummer who I respect so much because I can never, ever, 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 ever do what he does. I'm the opposite type of drummer. Like <laughs> he is playing the part to the click, he's doing it, he's delivering. I'm too spontaneous, I'm too distracted. Like, good for him, like, it's amazing. Uh, he, he is doing that though. It's, it's incredible. Do, do you think that the drums please fab moment was real? Or was it manufactured? I do think it was real. I think like Julian was like it's drums so please fab. And I know. Yeah. Like when I when I watched, because uh, I'm obsessed with the strokes, I saw the leaked video of their New Year's Eve performance. And he says it in it. Yeah, he yeah, says yeah, it and yeah. I was like, oh no, why would he call him out like that? in front of and he knows the internet's gonna and but then when i heard the song i was like those motherfuckers he act he did the thing that he did in the studio um, yeah it was a wink no, it was a wink it was a wink it was a total wink um and, and fab god bless him has to do Drums, all these please fab. <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> I mean, this is. Yeah, such a great chorus. This is 344. I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. And Barely Legal is also the only one that has an explicit tag on Spotify. So this song is like, I I don't even count it as a, you, like, we should really be playing, we should be playing or talking about New York City Cops because that, that was the album. I I think I'm going to do that instead. Yeah, play New York City Cops. Is this the, is this the sequence where it would have been? Yeah, this is where it would have come. They just dropped it in? Okay. I don't know how they put in like such an inferior song <laughs> to this, but like this is one of their like signature songs, but. I know. If they left it out, it would have just been, it would have been a 32 minute record, which I don't hate. No, I, I actually in retrospect I probably would have preferred that. Yeah. This song also kind of to me, sounds like it's on a different album, which I like. Cause it's like, this is kind of like what's coming up, you know? I feel that way. Like this is a little bit, bow, yeah. bow, bow, bow. it's almost, it's kind of like it's a pinch of it. like, it's like a pinch of, uh, you know, yeah. Like I've talked about this band so many times on this podcast already, so I'm sorry, but it's a pinch of <laughs> Queens of the Stone Age to me yeah. a little bit, a band that has influenced the Arctic Monkeys like crazy. And also I think belongs in the conversation of like greatest 21st century rock bands. And it's just a little heavier and a little bit more like a fuck you song. And I really like that. And the chord changes in the song are just like mwah, sublime. Yeah. I like the ad libs in the beginning too, because I think 
I just picture a very drunk Julian Casablanca just being annoying in the studio in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what, do we ever, do we, we should talk about like him, you know? Substance abuse and all these bands yeah, we're talking about. <laughs> I'm happy to talk about Julian. I have a lot of thoughts and opinions about that Well, the that first too. thing I would say about him is like, he's a, because I want to talk about him for a split second. So like, I've talked, we've talked a little bit about Fab and like, he's just so on the money and like, Nick, you talked about this, but like very good looking, like dated a lot of celebrities, you know, like he's an interesting character in the band. I think you have these, you know, Nikolai to me is like the kind of more quiet, like reserved in the background. George Harrison and of the band. George Harrison of the band. Then you've got dueling guitarist Valenci, who I think of as like the soloist, like a bit more of like the, you know, melody guy and Hammond, who's just like the fucking like, you know, I don't even know what to say. Other than the engine is like the best way I could describe it. And then you've got Julian, who like, as far as I know, like doesn't really play an instrument. He just he gets guitar. up. Oh, he plays guitar? No, that's wrong. So I'm about to blow your mind. Charlie. Okay, go ahead. No, please, please. Julian is responsible for writing every musical part on this record. No yeah. way. And that's Room on Fire. He, he, yeah, so he has, yeah. He's the like musical songwriter. He was like, let's all write a record, right? Yeah, so like a lot of these songs were demoed just by Julian on guitar or keyboard. And then like these songs are not written by Albert Hammond Jr., uh, Nick, Nikolai. They're written by Julian. And um, until uh, First Impressions, no one else was getting writer's credit um because they weren't they weren't writing the songs wow he can he can play all these parts and and these are his babies like argue julian you tricky son of a bitch i hate you so much because he could like he could have been the killers like they could have been that like they would they would turn down heineken commercials in the for last night that the killers put you know somebody told me on or whatever like they 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 constantly make poor business decisions and it's all it's all julian and like he was in charge of every part of the song uh, um but to your point like he's also like this faded like weird he presents in this know. way the way he presents right like there's something totally. about it i get what women would find appealing about it because he's tall and he's brooding but he also presents like he could not give like a fuck and that is kind of one of what's so it's such an interesting <laughs> juxtaposition to hear you say like oh he wrote the all opposite the songs. of the killers it's the opposite of arctic monkeys they seem opposite. like they give so many shits so they many do. shits <laughs> Yeah, they do, and that's nothing why they matters make so in the world but music. The yeah. like seriously, that's that's the thing. Yeah, it's hard to believe, really. Like the, the way he was pulling the strings early on in the group, and also, I mean, I, as I understand it, you know, struggling with <laughs> substance abuse issues. But the way he like would roll out onto the stage, and he'd look like like he would look around and like almost like. Like he was like a like the school bully, like looking for someone to pick on is like the way best way I could describe his stage presence. He'd like look out into the audience and he'd like twist you, you know. He'd like this is my bad impression of him singing, but like he looked at you like kind of like this, you know he what I mean? Hangs on the mic stand, and his hangs on the mic. Stand. It's like he's gonna fall over at any moment. Yeah. It's like somebody go help him, you know? He's gonna 100%. crash. On the- 
Um, and that's there, part of the way there, he's, there, and that's the part of the way he sings too, Nick. Right? I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but like, oh no, you I know, feel like I've been talking this whole time. Please, no, no, no. But but the way he sings is like you can't imitate it easily because it's like you have to sing like you don't care. Exactly. You know? <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I mean, I think Julian is the kind of guy who goes into the studio and sings a million different takes, and what winds up on the record, he doesn't know. Because I've, <laughs> I've seen them so many times where I've, and, a man, and my fiance can vouch for this, there have been times where I've left angry because we know the words and the melodies better than him. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Like, like there will be, there was a night in DC, we saw them at the, there was a big festival. They were late because they were watching churches, even though we were all packed waiting for them and couldn't see churches because, <laughs> and so I was pissed about that. But then they, they, you know, this was kind of in the era where nobody seemed in, in the strokes to want to be in the strokes and they, and Julian screwed up. I, I, I'm not exaggerating. Like, 90% of the set. Just the wrong lyrics, the wrong verse, not knowing the melody. I think part of that was indifference at the time to wanting to be in the strokes, but also I do think he doesn't know what's on the record. I don't think he listens to it or remembers because I think he went in there and did a bunch of different stuff and then what got printed like on the record. He he is that guy who's like meticulous about the the details of the songs, but but then when it comes to his part, his whole thing is like I I can't care, I I just can't care. That's the attraction. Like oh yeah, maybe I sang that, maybe I just did this, and you know Lou Reed and whatever. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Lou Reed is a great comparison. But what's interesting about him and Jake, I know you like this song, and I'm not a huge fan of like late strokes although i do think <laughs> that um you know their that new abnormal their new album was really quite good um but like he is i do i do like take it or leave it by the way i think this is a great song uh it's like it, oh, leave it. you know it's i think great. they didn't go big enough i like a good closer on a record i could have i could have had a little bit more maybe a little length or a little bit bigger of a climax i i, I would have swapped this and alone together alone together is an <laughs> is a is a is an end of the album i would have done last night i would have done last night again oh my god no you're talking strokes sacrilege here that is sacrilege this is the song where julian jumps into the audience and he does this, and everyone is groping him and pulling him, and he's just saying, gonna let you, like the one, one of a few times where he's like, giving a shit, singing, you know, like, gonna let you. By the way, he gives a shit and hard to explain. That's a, that is like a real, you know, from that, yeah, from the beginning. Really does. You yes. know, cause he's, cause it's from an honest, uh, was an honest man at the beginning. And then oh, da, 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 he's, he's going fast in the chorus. You know, I miss the wrong, but that's like, you got to keep time. You got to, you know, he's jogging with the song at that point. You can't really like fade into the background. But what I was going to say was like on some of the later stuff, like his voice has evolved in this weird way. So like Jake, I know you really love this song, but Machu Picchu, which is one of my favorite late game stroke songs, which I think is off of angles or, um, angles, yeah. As a joke, I'll call it angels sometimes. 
Angels. And then my least tur- favorite strokes record of all time. By the way. I know. I, 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 I understand that. I understand that too. And then, but, but then move to like bad decisions or eternal summer. And like, he's like, he's, <laughs> he's like going into this falsetto. Like, Oh, he, he loves has, the falsetto. His voice you know? has kind of evolved in this really cool way. And like, yeah. I do think at his core fundamentally, like he is a great, great singer. Like yeah, on top of being a good songwriter, like really interesting voice, like has a cool range. Like when he gives a shit, like his vocal control is totally there. Unlike Alex, I mean, I love Alex Turner's voice so much, but Alex Turner's voice is really deep and very, it's very, you know, uh, in your, in your ear and it's just trying to get in there. And, you know, it's almost like very seductive. Julian's voice, like it comes off to me is like there's an urgency in the way that he sings which i really like uh that you don't hear totally no i think like like alex turner again like he's trying and he has that almost like theatrical voice theatrical is a great word yeah julian's whole thing and always has been like i don't give a shit but when i do I will sing in the falsetto, apparently. (laughs) Julian's gone on his own adventure. Like we, you know, we don't have time, but you could talk about the voids. You can talk about the collaborations he's done with like, with Daft Punk. Daft Punk, yeah. yeah. You know, that, which is one of my all-time favorite songs. But he really, uh, my hypothesis about Julian is after Is This It Blew Up. He didn't, and and maybe like tough room room on fire in there. He never wanted to give it to you anymore. Like he knows what you want, and he almost wants to be uh, contrived. He wants to be like not what you're expecting. And so, like you know, the voids and even some some of the later Strokes records, you're like, yeah. why doesn't he just write the thing that we know? I think this last <laughs> record, the New Abnormal, which I think is my third favorite strokes record he he is getting kind of back to like i know what you want i'm gonna do it my way yeah but i do think that record is really strong and i love the melodies i do really think there's a handful of like pretty classic stroke songs on that last record on the new record new abnormal yeah you like it more than angles first impressions and comeback (laughs) come down machine sorry yes i do i will say that first impressions has a handful of classic like you only live once heart in a cage i think i've mentioned these before juice box maybe like razor blade the one with the mellow but, awesome. i don't ask like me, that song. ask me anything i know yeah. i and i get it i get it but like yeah. as a diehard strokes fan like at the time i was like open to it and now looking back i'm kind of like i don't need that i think I that this <laughs> record i think that this record i don't need that <laughs> feels more like a full record uh, like where they, it felt like a band. They sounded happy to be doing this together. For hundred like, percent, yeah. The the adults are talking. Book ended by the, the you know the Mets. Like I, that to me was like this feels like what they wanted to do. This the last two records did not feel that way to me. I will say, Angles has uh, uh, um, one undercover of darkness. Songs. Yes, one yeah, of that song has one of the best. Such a great song. Amazing one of the best choruses song. of the Strokes. It's got that two-part chorus oh. where it's big, and then it gets even bigger. It gets even bigger. Like, uh. But they so. fucking hated each other on that record. Yes. You can feel it. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> that album doesn't like. It doesn't make sense. But uh, oh man. Yeah. 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 But you that love you great. love Room on Fire because 
not only do you have like old strokes and new strokes, but you have a band that is like, you know, it's that rare combination of like a sophomore album yeah. after a after a debut smash that like is also, just as good, if not better. That that song you reference the cars all the time. That yeah. so, that that album had more of a pop sheen to it than mm-hmm. is this it and i just feel like it's a, con- a very concise record like and what i love most about the strokes is when julian again like shows himself to be vulnerable and reveals himself so like whatever happened under control these are songs to me where i'm like emotionally yeah. connecting i get why is this it like it broke the mold it changed the music industry it's cha- it changed fashion but room on fire to me actually has the songs automatic stop where i'm like oh man like you know they're really digging in you know was it the follow up that everyone expected i don't really give a shit i love these songs they connect with me emotionally when i yeah. was 15 you know and so i, I think the- that is my my favorite it's like a 30 minute album it's it's almost perfect, um, but yeah. I mean, under control alone, that's like one of my top five for sure of of the best stroke songs. Like, you, so the fact that that's on there is yeah. yeah. No. I'm a big fan of the end has no end. I feel like that's a fun uh, one for me to listen to and sing along to. I like that song a lot too, Jake. Total, yeah. very Carsy, Charlie. Like that's yeah. a total fun one. Very Carsy. Cars Cars are a band that I think has had its <laughs> DNA. Its DNA is like over. A lot of bands that I love, um, but I definitely hear it in Strokes and the side projects of the Strokes. I don't know if you guys listened to um, Albert Hammond Jr. had a solo album, I think it came out last year or two years ago, called More to Life. And the lead single on that song was called More to Life. And that also, I was just listening to it, I was like, Cars, this is the Cars. And I, and I, <coughs> I think that they there is something about the strokes that like they do like they're not afraid to like give you a pop hook you know like they want their they want their songs to like be liked not just by rock and roll people but also by like you know if my mom heard uh well, the end 51 has no end, is basically oh, yeah, a car song like literally yeah, <laughs> she would probably like it and I I'm sure yeah. she would cuz it's like it appeals to her that's the music she grew up on and so I think that's part of what you were saying, Nick, about like they sound like the future and the future is the past. You know, it's like the future is the old songwriting of the 70s. Like that's that's what the Strokes were doing is bringing it into the new era, you know. And there's something also cool about the fact that like they were the first big rock album yeah. of the 2000s. They were like, you know what, like we're not going to give in to like this new technology, you know, not every song is going to be like a synthesizer and a, like electronic drums. Like I kind of want to go backwards and like, that's where the music that we wanted. And it's just so interesting too, guys. Cause like, I don't know if you feel this way, but like, I feel like we're living in a moment now where like, <clears throat> I'm waiting for a band like the strokes to just like jump into the fucking fold. Like the time is now like the strokes <sighs> came on the point. heels of nine 11. What did we you know, we're living through the greatest tragedy of our lifetimes on top of the fact that like, I think of the modern rock bands now and it's like, it's like how many fucking times is it like are the Foo Fighters going to play Kimmel because there's no other rock band that's like- Dude, we have Greta Van you know what Fleet. I, what are you talking oh, about? Please, just kill me. 
I mean, yeah, Kenneth I is such a ripoff of like all those like Led Zeppelin. What I can't, else do you need? Uh, it's al- it is almost impossible though. And I know like it's so cliched. It's what every generation says. Like yeah, there yeah, yeah. can't be a, but that that was like a fundamental time before the like it was like right before the internet. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and like like they were the last great I, I the the appeal was like it felt decades from I mean look, I don't know. Because of the internet, you're exposed to so much. So like it's almost hard to shock people or surprise that wasn't the case then they these yeah. dirty long hair greasy haired straight jeans you know guys came out you couldn't just get that at the time and so it, that's why it was so shocking and and so transformative now you can if you want to listen to a rapper with a rooster who's you know what you can find anything i don't know yeah. if it's possible but i am waiting for the next great rock band i guess like you know, we're still on Arctic Muck, Tame Impala. Like, there's like, yeah. who is the next Vampire Weekend? Is not like a rock band. I love them, but like, I don't. Know. I think I, don't know. I think it's somewhere in the vein. I think it's somewhere in the Phoebe Bridgers world. I think it's also somewhere in the Fontaine's DC sports team. Uh, mm. All these other guys, yeah. Porridge Radio, talking about even do nothing. Who I've been listening to a lot. That's <laughs> what we open the show with. Those guys, I think, do nothing really are, have something. Like, yeah. I think it's yeah, not going to look something. like the Strokes. And if somebody walked down the street in a no. leather jacket, we'll say that's the Greta Van Fleet of the Strokes, right? We need a Phoebe Bridgers. Right. We need a, <laughs> we need a, a Fontaine's yeah. DC. Something, something new. Yeah. No, that's a, good, that's a great point. I think you're right. Because yeah, you know that people right. were saying that the Strokes were the Greta Van Fleet of Lou Reed. At not like specifically, but some people that would be the criticism in two thousand one. Is like these guys are just yes. There was definitely doing what backlash from media famous. critics. Yeah, yeah. But like a lot of people. Yeah, the internet wasn't a thing then, so you couldn't. Yeah. Like it was, but like not what it is now. And so like, you know, the oh man, the, I would argue the killers took. Uh, they were like the last gasp of like million billion dollar music industry where like. And they did what the Strokes should have done to make their to make their money. I don't know yeah. if you can have that supersized, other than like the 1975 or or like a legacy act like Radiohead. A band isn't gonna break through the in the way that a rock band, a new up young 20 year old rock band. I don't know. Yeah, um, I'll concede to that. I'll, I'll I'll agree with what you're saying. I think I think you brought up the 1975 Nick and like. That is close. It's not quite what it's not quite like what I would want from the rock industry, but I did think that they like kind of arrived out of nowhere. I I do find them like almost too weird now, but early on in like their first two albums, I was like, they're very cool. They're very retro, but they sound (laughs) polished. The guy had a really great voice, a cool look. I really dug their sound, but it wasn't like rock and maybe like, that era, like you said, like it's not going to happen again. And like you said, Jake, like they're not going to look like the Strokes. I think a lot about the Black Keys as being like the last like big rock band that like I really latched onto. And I was like, these guys are really cool. Like they're popular. A lot of my friends like them. But that was back in like the early 2010s to the mid 2010s, you know. And now I feel like Tame Impala is like the, that psychedelic rock 
is like what's in right now. So I just feel like the time is ripe for like a band like the strokes to hit the scene and like really, you know, what we need, we need like a rock band to like get out, uh, get out all this nervous energy and this pent up energy that we've all had being indoors for a years for a year. And so I just wonder if it's going to happen. I feel like it's a squid. Yes. It's going to be squid. Black country, new road. I'm telling you, I, that's where I think it's coming from, man. I don't think we're getting anything out of New York anytime soon. Well, New York, dude, is... We're not getting any rock bands out of New York anytime soon. New York is not going to produce them. That's for sure. That is for sure. It's going to come from like... Check out Squid. It's going to come from like a... It's going to be like a California band, probably. London London or Australia, man. That's why. Auckland. Well, Australia is huge for sure. Uh, They got some good Spacey Jane, Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever. Some of my favorite acts right now are coming out of there. I've never heard of Spacey Jane. I'll have to check them out. Spacey Jane's real good. Yeah, they're cool. That's a great. That's a great band name. And do yeah. nothing. I don't know if you know them, Nick. That was the song that Jake played at the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're cool. a really, really cool band. They got that I something, do. Man. They they have a monkeys esque. Yeah. Kind of like a tongue in cheek monkeys. They have, but they've got a great singer and songs of bursting with personality. <laughs> I like them. They're just like so under the radar now. Nobody knows. And them. and Charlie's a big fan too. You might like it if you're a, if you're a, a rhythm section guy but their bassist and their drummer are just like glued together. And that's like the spine of the band. And then this guy's got this weird voice singing awesome. over it. And then guitars are kind of doing minimal and you don't really need them that much because the bassist is doing some heavy lifting. Yeah. Yeah, man. Check them out. Cool. But no one can be the strokes. Strokes, they occupy a piece of I music just wanted history. To be that, one like, of the strokes. No, I know, just wanted to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's so awesome because I feel I was that kid and then he did it. So good for him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did Turner say before they played it? He was like, uh, we like to play songs about where we are and we don't know any songs yeah. about tennis. And then just held it. <laughs> and then he played, is this it? <laughs> yeah. That was, that was crazy. And he couldn't do it. Like he, he, did, he, he doubled down on the feed. He was like, can't you see? I'm yeah, yeah. It wasn't yeah, even He was like... still the Moon Lounge singer covering. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll never forget it. <laughs> I'll never forget. Yeah, the Moon Lounge. Yeah. I'll never forget at that concert, Jake. I don't know if I told you this, but Nick and I were like standing next to each other. It was just so funny because like anytime they'd play something from Tranquility Bass, everyone on the floor would just like go to the bathroom, <laughs> including Nick and I. So he'd be like, this is, you know, bat phone or ultra cheese or whatever. And I was like, ah, this she song's okay. She looks like fun. Yeah, she looks like fun. Yeah, like off of the bathroom. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then we're like in the fucking border body. And then it's like, bump. Doing I'm a puppet on a string, and yeah, then we'd be like, yeah, "Fuck, yeah, you know, get your shit, you know." <laughs> That's so funny. This song is about the I world's do love that first record. super. What does he say? The world's first monster yeah. truck front flip. Everyone's like, "Monster oh, truck, yeah. yeah." I do love that record, but it's just a unique. You know, it's just yeah, yeah it's I, weird it's, and unique and like Bowie, but you know, also so odd and abstract and yeah, uh, yeah, just really I like loungy. Like yeah. No, like, yeah. just I don't think it was what people expected or needed, like from yeah. them. But I, it, like Humbug, I think there was a harsher reaction to this record, but similar reaction to Humbug when it first came out. Yeah, I think it sits more comfortably in their, you know, catalog. But I was just saying to Jay because our next episode is Suck It and See. That was an album that I like 
shrugged off early on because it was like interesting underrated to me so underrated underrated, dude (laughs) so underrated one of my favorite album openings when when that chorus of she's thunder oh yeah it's so and then sexy. comes in it's all about fucking i mean come on yeah we get very uncomfortable on the in this show when lyrics get sexual it's kind of like one of us will point it out oh, that, and then the, that makes sense and then one other person will say maybe and then the other guy will say i don't think so and then we'll just move on <laughs> oh that's right I, I my favorite part of that song because to me it's very much about fucking is is like you know and then and then uh what are the lyrics in the chorus like here comes your sounds as if she's pretty close. And like the, the drums are rolling underneath. It's just like, oh, and, and but you know, he's talking about fucking. I, dude, that album, I would also like to say, and we'll talk about this. I don't want to give too much away. But you're right. That album is like very, sexual. very sexual. Suck it and see right right there on the, on the, on the which is also kind of a like, Fuck you. It's very playful. But the lyrics on that album, we'll talk about it next week, Jake. But like oh my God. the lyrics I'll to Reckless The lyrics to Reckless yeah. Serenade are like the oh, best yeah. Alex Turner lyrics ever. And they pull a lot of the Paul McCartney. By the way, Nick, I'm gonna oh, before we before McCartney, we close. Very McCartney. Wait, we need before we close, I would need a McCartney impression or Mark Marin. <laughs> but Reckless Serenade, there's rhymes within the line. You know, so yeah, it's like yeah, when yeah. she laughs, the heavens hum a stun gun lullaby. You know, I think Eminem. I think Eminem co-wrote some of those songs. <laughs> very, very almost hip hoppy. <laughs> but what awesome. I've been bringing up a lot you... about. Sorry, you go, Nick. <laughs> no, you go, you go. Well, what I just what I, I'd love to get your opinion on it before we get there, but um, what I've been bringing up a lot is that I think that um, "Love Is a Laser Quest," "Suck It and See," and that's where you're wrong is the strongest Ugh. closing run of any Arctic Monkeys album. Dude. And one of the stronger of rock albums in the 2000s, I would say. That's where, uh, it, so underrated. Those three and in like, a row just fuck me up every time. Yeah, those songs are so emotionally charged. You can, whatever he was going through at the time, you know, whether it was Alexa Chung or, and they were breaking up or whatever, like I'm obsessed with the love writing on that album. It feels yeah, the love writing so yeah. strong. Yeah, and I and and you when you talk about that album next time because this is not that episode, you should also talk about the submarine mini album soundtrack that is from the same era because stuck on a puzzle fits right in with that. Like his his tragic hypersexual playfulness at that time to me is is so fantastic. Um, and you're right. There's so much McCartney on that album. Like we could talk about lasers and stuff, you know, like whatever you said, <laughs> it feels very just like, like playful. Yeah. You know, love, I've got an idea then, you know, your love is like a love, you know, it's just like, all, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like a shotgun. I hope you're not pointing it at me. You know, it's yeah. like very like, <laughs> yeah, I, that's I, not I, a skirt girl. That's a sawn off shotgun. Yeah. Like so yeah. good. Man. And then you get to like, don't sit down and, but I've moved because I've moved your chair and you're kind of like, yeah, this is not what I was really. See that album is an album that Julian Casablancas would never, never no, write. No, no, and no. so yeah. Alex Turner is like, you know, so inspired by the strokes, loves them. That that album is so far removed from the the vulnerable, like it's so vulnerable and so hard on your sleeve. The strokes never do that. Julian doesn't do that. And so like 
I love that. But uh, God, Alex Turner, what a, you know, I'm glad you have a podcast talking about them because they're <laughs> such an interesting band. So. We're loving doing it, man. It's been fun. But this was so great that you got yeah, to come on great. and talk about the strokes. Yeah, no, I like, hope I didn't talk too much about the strokes. Not at all. Oh, it's <laughs> incredible. If, if next time I'm in a room with Fab, I, he's going to be like, I heard your podcast. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, really? <laughs> no, we said all good things about Fab. So we're in the clear with Fab. Dude, I love watching live videos of Fab. Like, like all those... If you Google, if you haven't already, Conan used to have them. Conan was my, like my Jimmy Fallon, I guess. Still is for me, dude. Still is. But late night with Conan in the mid early 2000s, he had the strokes on. There was when Room on Fire was coming down, he had them on every week. And so for the month and they did, you know, whatever happened, Reptilia under control. I, there's so many videos of the strokes in that era in their prime they're, those videos are so good because you can just see yeah, them and it's out. like, oh, dude, you'll, you'll like, just yeah, I'm gonna watch Google it now. The, the strokes on Conan. They do, they do the modern age. They do um, just, just so many amazing performances. And, and you can just see like they're kids and they're just on late night with Conan O'Brien in 2004. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. Jules Holland was my, uh, my Jimmy Fallon oh, yeah. when I was younger. He was the tastemaker for me. He had a lot of cool bands on. <laughs> Very man. Cool. I really loved did. the format yeah. of that show. You'd yeah. be, it would be like Amy Winehouse and then like yeah. Trent Reznor, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Was, and like, he's like, and Jules Holland's awesome. like running around trying to like do it fast for some <laughs> yeah. reason. It's hilarious. <laughs> a lot of the um, bands that, a lot of the like 90s bands that I discovered were through Jules Holland's like Stereophonics or like The oh, Verve yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I had never... I was a kind of an interesting way in for me was like, cause that was an English show and I didn't watch any English mm-hmm. television. And I, but. I even feel like when I, when it was a band that I knew like the Rack and Tours or something were on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would, they would yes. play a cooler version of the song than like just the studio. Yeah. Like even bands I already yeah, knew, that's they awesome. would try to like a little extra. I think it's the competition with like literally other bands in a circle that like you want to do definitely cooler than the, than the last guy. Right. <laughs> Almost, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure you know about it. But one of my favorite Jules Holland clips is the Arctic Monkeys dressed as clowns. All of them are dressed as clowns Absolutely. for their live. Ju- it's, I mean, and that inspired you, you, right, to do the Dead Rabbits? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. We were like, we should dress up during a performance. We did it at the Voodoo Fest in New Orleans. Uh, <laughs> same reaction. Um, was that <laughs> Jacks? Is that when you were with the Jacks? I was with the Jacks here. I just want to Mac. Hey, is, there you go, Charlie. Oh, I'm a she's big such fan a beautiful. Jacks, by the way, Nick. Uh, Charlie oh, introduced you, me to that band. Your, your, your band. I really, 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 really. I really Dude, appreciate great that. Great band. Great band. Great band. And but but you know, um, <laughs> but we've got new Nick Brennan and Michael. What the hell's his last name? Supoy. Supoy. Yeah. Supoy. We got Virtu- some new music coming drummer. soon. Yeah. Is it going to be called know. Virtual Drummer? I don't fucking know. I, I mean, that's but that's the only. I think so. Yeah, no, it's fun. Just for fun, we're making music. I'm, I'm writing them, and he's helping me flesh them out and, and contributing and just producing it. I hope it'll be out this spring. I think so. We're on a good track on and, streaming uh, services. Yeah, yeah, it'll definitely. I'll put it. I'll put it. You know, Spotify or whatever. Uh, I'll I'll hook it up. Amazing. Uh, we'll post it on our Instagram. I think we have like six followers. Cool. That's perfect. That's that's what I. I'm so great. excited. 
I'm so excited to hear it. It's going to be awesome. Well, um, we'll I'm excited to, to share it. Charlie is always one of my greatest in, in, encouragers. So yeah, I can't now that you're out there as a published musician, competition. Right. One song. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we haven't even talked ass, about though, this. man. Yeah. Thank you. I'm like, it's been, real, it's been a real Sisyphean effort to put a second one together. <laughs> Are you trying to put a second one together? <laughs> yeah, but it's like so hard. <laughs> I was lightning in a bottle with Are We Lonely? Uh, I don't know. If, uh, Are, we lonely? <laughs> Are We Lonely? Are We Lonely? Love it. I'm obsessed. Um, Charlie, I can't wait to hear the mustache second mustache looks amazing. Thank you. And then I do have to say, it's, I've, been a, I've been thinking about this all week. Ever since we recorded the last episode, I've been 100% obsessed with your impression of the Irish police captain from Peaky Blinders, and I will request that you do it, you do the impression again for me, so I can have it fresh in my brain. I thought you were going to say Jeff Goldblum because that's the one I did on Twitter a few weeks ago that people thought was. Oh no, funny. I didn't see that. I got to do that. One. I also need to it hear Nick is. as Mark Marin before we go. I would yeah. hear that too. Let me tell you something, Jake. <laughs> if I were you, I'd get out of this town, Tommy Shelby, and I'd run far away. <laughs> I know I embarrassed Nick, I myself with Miss Burgess. <laughs> All right. Nick it. Peaky <laughs> Blinders. Here we go. <laughs> what do we got? What's his name? He's from, uh, I don't even know. <laughs> Sam Neill right. from Peaky Sam Blinders. <laughs> I had a good talk. We had a, we, we, I, I lose it after. Yeah, I get funny guy. Interesting guy. <laughs> guy. He always uh, does that. He's got me. his stuff. We've all got our stuff. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. Lock the gates. That's a great one. Lock the gates. <laughs> We've all got our stuff. That's funny. We've all got our stuff. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, all right, guys, I got to roll. This was great. Me too. To do. This was awesome. Right, Thank you for letting me gush. I'm in LA, so it's 7.45 now in Santa Barbara. So oh, I'm, you got a whole got night. Time, the Knicks just got, got crushed. Night. Oh, did they? Uh, well, it's one of uh, many, not many games because they've been good, but this was a, this is a disappointing one. Yeah, but you've become a real Knicks like beat. I've always poster been. on Twitter. Yeah, well, because they're true. finally good. I mean, you know, yeah, they're, it's a they're, big deal. They're in the mix. It is a big deal. 